Hello and welcome to the very first episode of This is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I bring this podcast to you with the help of my friend Mark Catanzariti, another service designer based in Sydney, Australia. This is HCD is a dedicated podcast that discusses topics that are relevant to both HCD, human-centered design in businesses and also the practitioners of the craft itself. It's a little bit different than most podcasts in the fact that the podcast has been designed to include a representative voice of the industry by welcoming three practitioners to partake in the podcast and converse with the guest speaker. It's also charitable by donating any advertising revenue generated to caracare.org. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast is recorded in Sydney CBD, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who might be listening in today. So let's jump into the podcast itself. We caught up with Anthony Quinn recently and had a fascinating conversation. For anyone who's seen Anthony speak at design conferences will know what a strong design thinker he is. We chat about how he got into design, his motivations, and also took some questions relating to the topics of career challenges from people working in the industry today. We also discuss how to increase your influence in an organization, something that is becoming increasingly important for designers across the globe. So let's jump straight in. Let's kick it off. Anthony, thanks for coming today. This is uh, episode one. The two topics that we were, we were going to discuss uh, were around career challenges and influencing yourself in an organisation. So let's kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, your career at the moment. Okay, um, well, and thanks for having me here. It's really nice to be with everybody today, and I'm sure you guys are going to put me through my paces. I always hate describing myself and my career. Uh, it's, I always find, for some reason, I find it the toughest thing to do. I, the, I suppose the best way I would describe myself is that, you know, I think about why I'm into design. I've been in design for a long time, probably over 20 years now, 25 years, something like that. And I was, I guess my journey started off in product design, did that for a while, and in the agency world. And then I moved into the whole web thing. There's a, there's a long story behind all of this. And I guess that along the way, something that came on very strongly for me was that I really enjoyed the whole creative process. And obviously, you know, that's why I was in design in the first place. I think certainly in the early days, it was all about, and, and maybe this was just reflective of the kind of design education that I had, but it was all about that I wanted to design things with my name on them almost. So it was almost like art, if that makes any mm. sense. Um, and I think that was probably because we didn't do a lot of, stuff in collaboration in uni so I kind of came out with that mindset but I loved design I loved the whole creative challenge of it I loved the product design thing of having to work through what people are interested in what you can actually make and how you actually in real life get it out there and actually you know operationalize something Mm. and I guess that's just a theme that's carried through but along the way I also got more and more interested in the impact that you have on the world with design and on people as as a designer and and I guess I ended up managing lots of at first design projects and then teams and so on and the impact that you have on the people around you and so nowadays it might sound a bit pompous and grand but rather than describe myself by function what I tend to say is that what I'm really about is helping people to realize their potential to make the world more growing and sustainable um, mm. and more 
equitable and, and to make the world, to bring equality into the world just yeah. through design, you know. So to get people fired up about how they can use design to do that is basically what I do. And so I, um, you know, over the years I've worked in lots of different places. I've been in agencies, I've been in corporates. And these days, you know, today I'm sort of here with my Dynamic 4 hat on. So Dynamic 4 is a B Corp and, and that value of using business as a force for good is, is very strong for us. And so the things that we do around that, you know, that's the realm that we work in. And the things that we do then are or how we do that are through um, strategic designs, so looking at how your value proposition, your service proposition interacts with your business model, how you actually get that up and running and get it out there, especially with, in the for purpose space, um, because that's definitely something that people need help with. We do um, design and, and build, so we actually help to operationalize things because mm -hmm. we've got a lot of, I guess, just because of the background that I have and, and, and Ben, my business partner, has, we have a lot of experience in that yeah. realm. And we also do what we call ventures, which is where we actually get involved with early phase startups or we do them ourselves, get them yeah. up and running. As part of that, we have a grant program. And I guess winding our way through all of that, we do a lot of coaching um, mm. and teaching and mentoring. Okay. So I did warn you that I hate describing myself <laughs> because it takes <laughs> okay. forever. But I, I guess if I was to summarize, I'd say that nice really it's all about what I'm really about is helping people to realize their potential to use design to make the world more growing and more sustainable and, and more equitable and, yeah. and, and bring equality into the world through design. And that's a really good segue into the next section of empowering designers um, to realize their full potential. Um, so looking at career challenges, some of the guys here are in the room, we've got Darrow and Noller, um, who's a service designer at Westpac. We've got Vera Wadi-Chan, um, who's a user experience designer at Simplicit. We've got Kevin Chan, uh, who's a user experience designer. And we've got Peter Nessick, who's a product manager slash user experience designer. We also have Mark Catterin-Zeridi, um, who's helping us record the podcast here today as well as a service designer at Telstra. So um, one of the questions earlier on was from Peter um, about staying relevant in your career. So do you want to take over here, Peter, and, and have a conversation about that, that topic? Yeah. So when, when I asked that question, what I was thinking is, you know, industry changes, product space changes. How do you stay relevant while doing your day job? I've always been really interested in ideas and, and learning. And I guess that's probably what brought me into design in the first place was I just love the whole creativity of it. And I guess that that's something that's always been there. So for me, it was sort of, I'd almost describe it as being curious. So, you know, I was constantly coming across things that I would find really interesting. So for example, and sometimes by accident, right? And, and by really getting things wrong. And then figuring out, well, what happened there and what can I do about that and how do I not let that happen again? So a really good example for me was when I, um, you know, so I, I got into web design, I guess, and I think back then, you know, usability testing and usability engineering was kind of a big thing, right? And, and it was sort of a new idea in that realm to a degree. But in a way, it wasn't because coming from product design background, you're always model making, prototyping, breaking things, fixing them, and so on. And you're often doing that with the people that are using them. So you're trying to get the product to fit the person. And that was often just in a very sort of physical, ergonomic way. I guess web design at the time and the whole usability thing was very similar. So I could relate to it. And a lot of people, and particularly a lot of my friends at the time, and this is when I was back in Ireland, were moving from industrial design into the, the web space because they had that sort of mm. um, intonation, I guess. 
and I was lucky enough to work with some of my best mates in a company called Frontend. Yeah. And so back then, what we used to do was we used to design websites, and you know, big deal. Now you could jump onto Wix. Or you could jump onto Wix. You, yeah. could, you know, you, Wix, WordPress, Force, <laughs> you name it. You can get these things now out of a box, and they're for free, and it's awesome. Back then, they didn't exist, so we used to actually do websites from the ground up, including a content management system for clients. And one of the ones that I worked on was um, for a government agency. And it was my first project. It was a huge learning curve. Um, I, I, like, I honestly thought I was going to just melt down halfway through it. But it was, I think part of that was how I stay relevant is just by trying stuff out and probably being naive enough to think, well, I think I can do this, but it's a bit outside my comfort zone. And then you suddenly discover that actually it's way outside your comfort zone and you just keep going, you know. Yeah. But the thing about it was, was that we delivered this website and then discovered later that it wasn't accessible. And, you know, at the time, I didn't even really know what that meant. So, yeah. you know, somebody pointed out that, well, this site can't be used by somebody who's blind. And I couldn't, you know, for, my first reaction was when I got the phone call, it was one of those weird sort of out-of-body moments where you just see yourself floating above yourself. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, how do I respond to this? Do I play the, well, it's to spec, you know, so not much I can do about it. Or yeah. is are you having me on? Or, you know, the incredulous thing. And, and in the end, I just sort of did the, well, tell me more. And so out of that, I learned a lot about, you know, that, that kind of then gave me an entree into the whole world of accessibility and, mm. and inclusive design, which was something I hadn't really known before then. And that just grew and grew and grew. And we ended up writing the IT web, you know, the IT accessibility guidelines for the government at the time. And they're still there. And, and from that, I then ended up, you know, when I moved to Australia, I guess that then gave me a way to be a little bit different and, and that got me into Westpac and then in Westpac my you know I joined when it was a very small team there were two people mm. and just the demand for designs grown over the years as all you guys would know and ended up you know in quite a large team managing large teams um, mm. directing design on fairly significant programs of work yeah. and along the way you know doing other things like lots of side projects yeah. and I guess that particularly the side projects for me were so some of the learning came from just putting myself out there and and trying things out and just constantly looking for something new to do or asking for a little bit more responsibility a little bit more mm. the other thing that really you know as, as i guess as the years have gone on i've probably become a lot clearer about what my purpose is and why i do stuff and so then the great thing about that is when you define yourself less about what you do as a function as in I'm this type of designer or I do this in design. I mean, that's important within the skill set and the domain that you work in. But when you define yourself more around your purpose, mm. then you can be a lot more flexible about what you do and how you do it and where you work. Mm. And I think I probably learned that through what I would describe as my side projects that have then kind of become my purpose. And so, you know, for me, it was a great thing about being in, particularly in a large organization and, and just, um, having experiences like moving to a different country where you haven't got a network and having to almost start all over again is that you, you have to put yourself out there, right? And I think that's the thing is that what I, what I learned was that you got to put yourself out there, but then it's easy to say that, but how do you do it? Hmm. So it's actually very tactical. And, hmm. and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that it's more about setting really simple targets like saying, well, I'm going to meet three new people this week. All right. Now, I don't always achieve that, but that's kind of one of the things I try to do, right? I'm going to meet three people or I'm going to write to three people or I'm going to ask, you know, ask them for their advice about mm. something. So that's the really simple way of doing it. Um, sometimes it's just asking for more responsibility at work and, mm. and actually then saying, you know, having fairly open conversations about, well, why do you think 
I couldn't do that. And what do you think is the gap I need yeah. to close? And how do we close that down so you can do it where you work? But yeah, yeah, you know, it's just simple things like that. Okay, I think that's you happy with. Yeah, definitely. No, in yeah. terms of yeah, taking those you know steps, putting yourself out there, and yeah. achieving things through the process. And it, and it's often like for me, it's often been more about getting outside the design space, you know, and, and then bringing things back in. Not so much like I'm definitely interested in design, and I guess I've always been. Uh, this is going to sound kind of weird, but for someone who's worked in UX for a long time, but because you know the scope of what I was designing has grown over the years, but. I've never, and this is going to, it's this confession. Here we I've go. never actually been that interested in technology. You know, like I, I guess that I'm interested in it, but that's probably the one area where I don't go deep, you know, yeah. for me. And, and maybe it's a conscious thing. Like I don't mind tinkering with it. I'm, I'm really interested in people who know it more than I do and, and who can show me stuff that you can do with it. And I really value that skill set and that depth of knowledge. But for me, that's the same as people who can manage people. You know, I really also appreciate that yeah. there are things that other people can do that I can't do. And so yeah. I try to kind of jump <clears> around a bit and get to know people who are doing other things and then learn from yeah. them to bring back in. Okay. I actually had a question on the clarity of purpose because for me, it's how did you identify it? Is it a case of this is not something I want to do? This is something I'm interested in. And did, did that help you define the clarity of purpose? Yeah, definitely. I. It's not like... First of all, it takes a long time, right? So, and it changes as well over time because the meaning of your work and what it means to you, for, for me anyway, has varied a lot. So, you know, in my early days, it was like I said, it was all about, I want to get in there, I want to do cool stuff, I want to put my name on it, all that kind of thing. And then after a while, it just became about the sheer, like I worked in a, um, I worked in an agency that wasn't a product design agency. I was the only product designer there, so it was a branding agency. And just the sheer creativity of it was I just loved it. You know, I loved the whole thing of sometimes we would be working on designing a brand from the ground up and, and that meant coming up with the name, coming up with what the packaging would look like, how it would be promoted in store, um, what the proposition was and how we'd reflect that in, in the design. And I, and I just loved the idea that, you know, here's me and I'm a product designer, so I should be really doing the shape of this and the form and yada, yada, yada. But just because I kind of like it, I'm also involved in coming up with the name and how we might do that and thinking about that all the time, you know. So there's, I think along the way what you've got to really do is, and I've probably been very lucky here in that I've had access to programs or people who've shown me how to do this or encouraged me to do it, is number one was think about your values and what really matters to you and what doesn't matter to you. So sometimes it'll be, well, you know, like I was chatting to you guys outside the room and I was saying how when I moved here, stability was really important to me because everything in my life started changing. And likewise, you know, when you have your first child or, you know, things like that, that it becomes very important that for a period of time you need to adjust outside your career. So your career, like my career for me has never been the be all and end all. I've always had things outside that. So the meaning of what your work is changes, but your values probably remain relatively constant and, it's often not that easy to understand what your values actually really are because it's an easy thing to say, but it's really good to think about what you actually mm -hmm. value. And sometimes it's good <clears> to just do that by, you know, if you just Google values or personal values, you probably get a long list and you circle what really resonates mm -hmm. and then you, you know, you gotta be really honest with yourself and then looking at why you might have discomfort in your life. Like, is it because I'm doing something that goes against my values or is it, I'm just bored, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. th those kinds of structures can be really useful. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, the purpose thing is you just got to take time out and ask yourself, well, what am I really about? 
and almost reverse engineer it back out of what have I learned from my experiences in terms of when I'm when I'm really in the zone, why do I think that is? And being really honest with yourself. And when I'm not, why do I think that is? Is it because maybe I wasn't doing the best I could have done? Or is it just because I wasn't that that type of thing just didn't sit well with me? And was that because of my values or was it because of my work style preferences? Or was it just the kind of work that interests me? Or was it the culture of the place? I was, you know, mm-hmm. you've really got to get into it yeah. and, and, and just reflect on it and just keep sharpening it up as you go. Okay. So it's not like I had a big moment where it came out of the clouds and there you go, you know, it's taken. And it'll probably change again and every now and again I still stop and think about it. Yeah. All right. So, Vera, you've got a question about the progression of your career and, and so forth. Do you want to discuss it? Yeah, sure. When I was asking that questions earlier on, I guess now that hearing you talk about more about the values and stuff, it's kind of probably halfway um, answering that question. So my questions was more along that when you were working in a certain area, so like in the design process, for example, and and that's lots of um, jobs or, or like in the research and, and then people normally pigeonhole you yeah. into that sort of segment, like research design or delivery and that kind of stuff. So once you go into that, what are you good at? And then how do you move to um, explore other, other outside what you've been working on for the last 10 years? And then I think the challenges that I have currently is you tend to, because you're good at it and you tend to just being into that space, um, say like design on prototyping and things mm. like that and then like I'm curious enough to actually explore different areas of, or even different industries mm. and, and how do you move on to that without um, having much experience on it and getting that sort of opportunity I suppose mm, and, yeah. and whether <clears throat> it is something that we should seek out more or I don't know yeah. just kind of advice, I guess, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, well, I guess, you know, again, it's probably lots of things and, and just trying out lots of different little things. So, yeah, definitely the values thing is really important. Yeah. And I think you've also got to probably look at, it's often thinking slightly unconventionally, and I guess we're lucky because as designers, you have a very creative way of looking at things and you're also able to step back and analyse things and then try something out and see if it works and then mm-hmm. step back. So for me, one of the things that I found really early on was that, you know, one of the things that I could see in a lot of my friends and, and probably for me was that the, the, the standard journey, if you like, was that you come out of design school and, you know, you kind of, your big aspiration is to be like, say, a creative director or something like that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it's almost like as well that, you know, the conventional model was you go and you, you freelance, or you work in an agency. And so everybody was doing that. And then after a while, you know, you become a senior designer and then after a while you might become a creative director, but there's only one of those in the company you're in. So you've either got to go and find a company that's got a, a slot or you've got to go off and start your own company. And, and so, you know, that's what, like I was noticing lots of these little offshoot, yeah, you know, lots and lots of clones of sort of the same thing. And it just didn't really feel like me. So I suppose for me, what it became was, well, you got to maybe challenge the conventional path a little bit hmm. and I guess the other thing is being open to doing things that might be outside that conventional design, mm. you know, set of roles. Mm. Now, I would consider myself to be relatively lucky here because, like I said, I started my journey in product design around about, I think it was in the late 90s that the whole web thing was sort of kicking mm. off and it wasn't very defined. So, 
like polite way of saying it, it was, it was kind of like the Wild West, right? Yeah. Which is a time of chaos, but it's also a time of opportunity. So it was possible to sort of say, I am this now, and you could just do it and vacantly make it, and to a degree, that's what a lot of people did, including myself. And, and at the time, that was a pretty, like in one way, it was a pretty abrupt lane change, but in another way, it wasn't because I was working with people I knew. So it was yeah. relatively safe, right? Again, over the years, one of the things I've learned, and this just works for me, I'm not saying it would work for everybody, is that you know, you've really got to think about what am I prepared to give up and what am I prepared to gain and be honest about it because, you know, for me, it's, you know, there, I don't want to necessarily quit a really good job or cut my income off or, you know, do any of these really crazy things. Like within boundaries, I will. Um, but it's like establishing those boundaries and saying, okay, well, if I want to try something, how far am I not prepared to go? Right. So there's, you kind of say, well, up to that line, I'm going to try this and you treat it like yeah. an experiment. And so there's things you can do, like you can, you can just explore stuff. So, you know, the easiest way to do that is just network and, and meet people and, and reach out to people and say, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm curious about what you do. And I'd love to talk to you about your experience in it and what your journey has been like. Yeah. And that's often really good because people are actually really open to helping other people. I've found I've always been really yeah. lucky in that respect and they give you the time. And it often kind of in, in talking to someone who's really done something, particularly one-on-one and they can, they'll be quite open with you about what's really good about what they do and also what's not so good about it. And it can challenge your expectations a bit because it can, you know, the faraway grass is always greener. Yeah. So sometimes you realize that maybe it's not. Um, and the other thing is that you often learn that their journey in something was not that cut and dried as well. So it sort of gives you that confidence to say, well, you know, if you can do it, I can probably do it. I'm not really that different. I'm just yeah. coming from a different yeah. place. Yeah. And then I think there's probably, you know, looking for opportunities to just, try stuff out so it could be either talking to somebody at work or it could be um looking for side projects like i'm a big believer in side mm -hmm. projects i think they're a really good thing to do but you've got to say you've got to dedicate yourself to them and say i'm willing to invest in them and i'm willing to do things that are maybe a little bit speculative yeah. and you know funnily enough <laughs> i'm not really sure if it's such a big thing anymore but it used to be a big thing in the design world that you know doing speculative work was it was a real oh you can't do that you know it's terrible you can't do speculative work you can't do pitching for free you know that kind of thing and i used to believe that but now i don't because i actually think that that's what you've got to do like you've got to be if you want to either learn if you want to learn something so try something out you have to do it on a speculative basis you can't do it mm -hmm. like nobody's going to guarantee and give you a cast iron yep well okay if you if you don't really know how to do this and it goes horribly wrong there's no accountability so that's great let's just do it nobody's going to ever give you that and I think the second side of it is you won't learn anything. So even by doing a little bit of speculative work or experimenting or trying something out as a side project, there's got to be a degree of maybe accountability in it. So it might mean that you can find ways to do voluntary stuff or you can find someone who, and, and this, this is going to sound maybe a little bit smarmy, but actually it's a really good thing to do is if you can find someone in your network or even who's outside your network and approach them and offer to do something, you know, basically ask them for their insights so you're sort of slightly flattering them a little bit and mm. people love to help and they like that and ask them for their insights and then maybe ask them if they're willing to let to try to let you try to help them with that thing from a design point yeah. of view. do you know what i mean yeah so there's a bit of skin in the game there because you're, you're sort of committing to it but you're also you're also demonstrating to them that you're serious about this mm. and you know if they're willing to try you out and you can set boundaries on it and maybe manage each other's expectations a little bit that you yeah. can help them 
And so they've helped you and now you're going to help them. Or if they can refer you to someone who's in need, you know, okay. those are sort of ways. But also coaches and mentors are really important. Yeah. I think, um, and there's a difference between the two, get mentors because mentors are often people who will share experience and insight. Mm -hmm. So they're great ways to explore outside mm -hmm. of my domain or yeah. in my domain, but in a different role. And then coaches are more about if I want to go from A to B, they're more task focused. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, get mentors and, and get coaching. Okay. There was an interesting question earlier on from Kevin, um, who I'm sitting beside here, about, you know, taking on extra roles and how that can impact your existing roles. So Kevin, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? So I've, I'm, I'm in a startup and, and what drew me there is it was a really interesting product and there's great potential and it's a great team I'm working on. But when you go in as a designer, you can see how you how they can improve processes or in, improve the design process. And so you try to influence them, you try to influence the direction, you try to influence um, how things are done, you know, whether it's, it's introducing agile processes or interesting design processes and so on. But each time you add to that influence, you take on baggage, you take yeah. on responsibility, and it being in a startup, you already have enough what to do without creating more work for yourself. So how do you find a balance and how do you actually influence them as well? Because sometimes people are very set in their ways and you've come in, you're an outsider who's coming in and going, well, we should look at these things or we should look at doing this this way. So it's two questions there. How do you influence them? And once you've influenced them, how do you do it without increasing your workload? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, that could impact your, your actual job that you're yeah. required to do. Yeah. Do a bad job of that. That's actually a tough one. I've often found that you almost got to overdo it and then underdo it. So, you know, for me, it's kind of been the case that, yeah, you know, you take on that, you, you ask for it and you get it. And it's always the case to be careful. You might get what you ask for it. And then you get more responsibility. So you've got more influence and accountability are often very tied. Mm -hmm. So you get influenced by being accountable mm -hmm. and accountability mm -hmm. often brings more responsibility. So you got to get more stuff done. Right. And there's kind of a no excuses thing as well. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not delivering, then, you know, it's kind of, that's, that's an issue. So I guess then it really becomes a case of you've really got to, and, and I'm not saying I've always done this well either, because it's one of those things that you kind of overload yourself for a while and then you kind of figure it out and then the balance comes back again yeah. and it lasts like that for a while and then you get the next kick up. But for me, what I've figured out that works is, well, first of all, you do it. So exactly like you say, you yeah. just get in there. And the great thing about being in a smaller organization or a smaller team in a big organization is that you get those opportunities, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And by naturally doing things that are outside your defined role, like that gets noticed yeah. and you actually get your influence from that, right? So it's the reputation that you build. And I guess what you got to do in that situation, right, is you got to learn to negotiate. Yeah, and absolutely. so the only way, like negotiation is all about, is actually all about relationships and how do you build a relationship with somebody so that both of you feel like you're getting a really good deal out of this. Yeah. And you got to really work out then what is it that really matters to that person and that isn't necessarily always about, sometimes it's about the work and sometimes it's about the, you know, sometimes about the product that you're designing or, you know, why they're doing it in the first place. But it can also be, you know, you've got to, you've got to acknowledge the situation they're in. Mm. 
yeah. and and give them the space to talk about that <clears throat> and and almost spend time with them on a one-to-one basis and actually ask them what they would be afraid of and particularly with respect to not delivering and so it might be you know what are your hesitations about me in this role right yeah. and what would what, what what would what do you think is the worst possible outcome here and what do you think would lead to that you know that's another good yeah. question to ask somebody so question. you can then mitigate yeah. right and and it's also good to when you uh, i'm not saying you would necessarily start with this because it's it's you want to understand the other person first right but be ready to say look if you want x then these are things we're going to have to give up and and are we prepared to do that and let's have a, let's have a chat about that yeah so that's the, you know that's all about building the relationships and, and negotiating, and I would definitely recommend studying. And again, this is going to sound smarmy; it's not intended to be, but it's actually just a fact of life. Is I always find it interesting when you get into this kind of stuff because you get into what you know politics, and yeah. people say, "Oh, I don't want to get into politics because you know you go to that meeting. I just want to design this thing. I don't want to get into politics." Design's a collaborative thing, and mm. politics is just another way of saying people are vying to be heard right? yeah and yeah not always you know so you got a question what, what are my motives here like wh- why do i want this influence and what do i want out of this and again it goes back to you know what also one of my values what lines am i not prepared to cross in this negotiation um and in doing this and in doing this work <clears> this way and you got to understand you know influence and power they're often related mm. and power is one of those scary words as well right but <clears throat> there's different types of power so you know People tend to say power, and you think of the first thing that comes to your head is a really, you know, an authoritarian yeah. figure, right? Tyrant. Or, yeah. yeah, the tyrant. I was just about to say the dictator. Donald Trump. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you have to. So that, you got to understand power and, and what that really means, and it's good to study these things. Like, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a great book that I would recommend, yeah. and it can be confronting, but actually, it's it's really good. Mm. It, it's called, funnily enough, it's called "Have Power and How It Really Works," and it's by a guy called Jeffrey Pfeffer. Mm-hmm. He also wrote this other great book called Management BS, which is about uh, all the yeah, it's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really opened I my heard eyes. About that. Yeah, yeah and it's it, what Management BS is all about. The there's a lot of hype and inspiration around leadership, and Management BS kind of cuts through a lot of that and says this is what management's actually about, yeah. and this is the damage that the hype and the kind of the reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, the reverse telling of histories does to, mm. you know, the retrospective view on history where you get someone who's really successful or has made a big achievement. They tell you how they did it and it makes, they make it look really glossy and easy. Mm. And actually that, that doesn't help people. But anyway, to get back to your question. And, and you've also got to learn to prioritize, I guess, and say, well, you know, if my role has changed, what's the difference that I'm going to have to execute on? And again, maybe it comes back to having coaches and mentors and helping, mm. you know, getting guides to, to help you through that both in terms of the experience, but also in terms of the task, because yeah. there are fundamental changes in behavior, like you'll have to start giving things up. Mm. And if you're the kind of person who really loves doing design, that can be hard when yeah. you take on more roles, right? Mm. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who, um, you know, and there's, there's sort of like almost three different types of ways of cutting the role. You know, you got to ask yourself, do I really want to be like a technical person? And I want to have my, my leadership in design is going to be about the craft of design. Or is my leadership going to be about um, the process? And so how I engage my peers in that process and how we work through it? Yeah. Or is my leadership going to be about how I how I relate to others outside the function and how I, how I work with them and influence them to have a design culture in my organization? You know? yeah. okay. Um, okay. And, and why, why would I want that anyway? 
Yeah. You know, so it's almost picking well, which way of that do I want to go, and then finding the right mentors and coaches who can get you there. But I would definitely recommend getting into negotiation and learning how to negotiate yeah. respectfully, yeah. Yeah. and studying power, which might sound like a strange thing, and influence, no. which is the other thing. Huge, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and probably the last thing I'd say is. It's also really good when you when you're really overloaded and overwhelmed. A couple of things that you can do are because you can also feel like a bit of a um, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, there's that imposter thing, right? Is remember that you got invited in, so clearly somebody saw your potential, mm-hmm. and and so it's a mindset. Yeah, you kind of yeah. back yourself a little bit, and then almost every day say, well, what were you know get in the habit of saying what were three things I did today that were outside what I normally do that okay, maybe I did them well, maybe I didn't do them well, but, you know, work, work well, what didn't do well, and just think about that. And then another question that I find really good when I'm really flat out or when I'm really feeling under the pump, and I use this a lot, is if I only had 25 minutes to work in this, what, what's, what would I do? Or half an hour? You know, like a ridiculously small block of time because yeah. often that's what happens when your role expands and you take mm-hmm. on more stuff is your diary fills up. Yeah. And it's easy to say, oh, no, you should prioritize it be ruthless. That's really hard to do about your time. But... Do that thing of yeah. If I only had twenty five minutes, what would be the one thing I'd get done today, or the three things, and then just do that. And, mm. You know, how do I get other people to do it instead of it being all on me and set them up yeah. to do it? This is this is a good segue actually into Daryl, and we were discussing earlier about getting people from uh, different streams across the business, and they could all be looking at the problem, but all seeing it in a different way. So, Daryl, do, do you want to discuss that a little bit more about your experience with that problem? Yeah, so I think this is around, yeah, influencing in an organisation um, and really about how might you encourage people to make better human-centred decisions, um, particularly in a corporate environment where you might be in a group of people that there's a mix of backgrounds and a mix of beliefs. And so an example, one way that I've approached this situation in the past is to use um, visual storytelling where you might sketch out the problems that a customer is facing and then it becomes more tangible and more real and you feel... Mm. I felt that pe- that's something that helps align people better to the customer's problems. Um, so, so I was wondering you know, how might you approach that sort of situation or how might you um, encourage people to be more human-centred if it's not already core to their beliefs? Yeah. Mm. Um, it is a good question, actually, because it's one of those things where I guess it's the difference between behaviour and maybe belief. I don't know if that's even the right way to say yeah. it, but it's like... You know, if you ask people, everybody will say, yeah, I'm customer-centered or, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm human-centered and, you know, I'd never be, I'd never be not. So sometimes it's how do you get someone to see that, yes, you are, but unintentionally you're doing something that is potentially not as good as it could be or even potentially harmful. And that's a tough thing to do because it is also the case that, you've also got to give people credit for how much they will actually know about their customer. And and I would say that, you know, that's something that I've often observed in myself is you kind of come in, you think, well, we got this process and it's awesome and we really know how to do it. And it involves going out, reaching out to people and understanding their needs and yada, yada, and then bringing them back in and telling you. And to a degree, you've got to be careful with that because people who run businesses sort of already know a mm. lot of that you know they they're not they're not dumb right yeah and yeah. they actually either consciously or unconsciously at some stage came up with a value proposition because they understood their customer and they understood the need and then they did something that fills it right so they're often onto they're often already halfway there 
It's just figuring out then, well, what's, what's, what's the gap? And sometimes it can just be, like your point about the visual storytelling and things like that are awesome because sometimes it is just that. It's just about the storytelling. And sometimes it's just about the nuance, right? So mm. it can be a small thing that can have a big impact. It's also recognizing that, you know, again, you got to get into, so what are people afraid of, right? And, and particularly in, in, I think maybe this is more of a big company thing, that mm. why would somebody not want to take this advice on? is a question you got to ask and then you got to get back to well let's think about what this person's going through and what's their accountability and what's their responsibility and so what what would motivate them to either want to take this advice on board and we often you know we're, we're naturally optimistic people so we tend to focus on that and assume that well i've just got this great insight for you here it is Ta-da! and now you've got to act on it it can also be pretty confronting for people though because that can mean that they've got to change something or that can mean that they've got to go back to, and, and particularly in a large organization, this is really tough, right? Is, and even smaller, I guess, you know, in startups and things like that, is that can mean that people's expectations about what they thought they were going to do are completely different. So you're getting to change them, right? Yeah. And you got to think about what, why would they be afraid of this? And how do I either frame that as a positive or how do I either get that out in the open so that we can figure out what they're afraid of so that we can determine whether actually it's, it's valid for them to be afraid of that. And, and, you know, it could be, yeah. and, it, and often it can be something as simple as, Oh my God, you just told me something and now I've got to go back and tell my boss that I was wrong. Right. Hmm. And, but is that a design role? Do you think? Cause that's, I think it depends. Like it's probably the biggest frustration that I see or not the biggest, but it's probably one of the big frustrations I see in designers and in consumers of design services yeah. in that, you know, looking at it from the, let's say the consumer, the buyer side, right? They don't always get actionable stuff. Yeah. So you get insight, like we just learned this. Okay, great. What do I do about that? Well, you know, you just got to be at a high level. There's a principle. Yeah. And that can be really powerful, at, you know, at certain levels in an organization. It can also be really frightening. You know, yeah. if you're on the hook for getting something delivered into the market by data X yeah. and everybody thought they knew what it was, paralyzed. and then, yeah, you, you, and then you get something that isn't actionable, that can really spin you out. Mm. Um, or if it really challenges, you know, if you find that it's, it's, and again, it's about what are the boundaries and how do you challenge and, you know, you got to build relationships with people so you can challenge them. And that means understanding them and understanding what they're motivated by. And sometimes it can be as simple as, I don't want to lose my job, right? And, and I guess that, you know, sometimes it's the, like if you imagine, you know, the conversation we had earlier about someone's in a role that's, in it, you know, you, you want to try a new role, right? So now you're in that situation and then someone's come to you and said, Ta-da! right? So yeah. you're thinking, I was out of my comfort zone in the first place. And now I don't even, now I've got bad news. How do I cope with that? And how do I deal yeah. with that? And how do I, how do I, so sometimes it's actually about offering people help with how they frame the message. But mm. to do that, you've got to understand. So what is it about this? That's bad news. Yeah. You know, um, and then there's probably other elements of it as well, which, you know, without getting, you know, overwhelming. But I think that's the big one, right, is, I always find this really interesting, is that, you know, when you look at things like um, service design and agile and, you, you know, they're often all the same. Yeah. For someone who is outside that realm, they look at them and they say, they're all the same things, right? It's pretty much the same process. They're all the same. Yeah. And they broadly speaking are, right, because they're all about, understanding the value, understanding what needs to be delivered, understanding how to sustain that, and then working out what the minimum is to do to get that done and up and running and keep it running, and then just keep building on that. So sometimes it's just about even recognizing that 
it isn't about the difference in disciplines. It might be the difference in communication styles, which is why, again, your visuals are really good. Yeah. But not everybody responds to just visuals. So sometimes you got to have visuals and some numeric stuff in there as well. Yeah, right? So you tell your story with... Like, uh, yeah. You know, understanding their language, their business language, and what do they care about. So, um, yeah. Because sometimes uh, um, a lot of the... When we try to communicate why is this good for you, it's actually talking in the terms of this is how much return investment that you're going to get if you implement this, for example, as a, as a mm. recommendation. So because they latch on to that rather than your actual recommendation. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting sometimes. Yeah. And, and as part of that, though, yeah. and, and this is where I guess it's important to draw people in and build the relationships and say, well, this is what we think. Well, we yeah. think you're going to get this kind of return. Yeah. But do you think there's anything you see in our thinking that isn't quite right? Yeah. And so then you can start getting into that because you don't always know their business as well as they know their business. Exactly. And that's the yeah. thing, right? And I'm still the same. And, and you got to be, you, you got to have that sort of willingness to yeah. at least listen and say, well, okay, tell me more. Why are you, you don't seem to be comfortable. Why are you, yeah. tell me more about that, right? What's, what is it about this that isn't, you know, isn't connecting or yeah. is making you uncomfortable and just getting into that. And then I guess it's also thinking about like different people have different work styles and preferences. So some people just want to hear, you know, sometimes it isn't about the insight. Sometimes it's just about, well, how do we get that done? Mm. You know, so it's more about process. That's right, yeah. And sometimes it's more about, well, okay, I really want to do that, but yeah. what's the bare minimum of that that I really need to do to get the most out of it, right? I'm happy yeah. to do it, but how do I do it within the funding envelope I have or the time yeah. frame that I have or, you know, those kinds of things? Because resources are always limited. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, that brings us to the end of the, the first episode of This Is HCD. Um, Anthony, thank you so much for coming in and spending the time with us this morning. Um, really appreciated your insights. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it was helpful. And I don't know if it was, but um, <laughs> hopefully it was. And look, I would say if anybody ever wants to reach out to me to sort of fill in any gaps or even, you know, you guys in the room, just the easiest thing to do is probably hit me up on LinkedIn. So please do, because I'm always happy to try at least to answer a question. And you know, it's always easier to get more specific in one-to-one -one conversations than it yeah. is in something like this. But, um, yeah, I'm always happy to help, and, and thanks. And I'd be happy to be back any time. Yeah, I've got a call today, so I don't know if I was at my best. but And sound great. Very, very, very cool. Okay, thanks. That was great. Really insightful. So there you have it, the very first This Is HCD podcast. I think you'll agree it was a fascinating conversation, and we all really enjoyed chatting to Anthony. I would like to thank him for his time. We'll include details on how to contact Anthony if you want to reach out to him and also include any books or articles that were mentioned in the podcast itself in the podcast footnotes. So the next podcast is in July with Chris Thelwell. Chris is a recognized design leader with a strong consulting background both in the UK and Australia. If you'd like to join us physically on that podcast and meet Chris, please see our meetup group at This Is HCD, just do a search, or via Facebook page, This Is HCD. We also have a website where you can see some of the amazing guests we have coming up in the rest of 2017. If you enjoyed this podcast, as we're just getting going, we'd really appreciate it if you could share socially on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook about the podcast to any of your peers. If you'd like to join in in the conversation, the conversation will be held over at the Facebook page where you can ask questions uh, to Anthony or myself, or if you'd like to get involved in the running of the podcast, please feel free to reach out. Thanks and see you next time.